0: Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about boosting time management, productivity, and inspiring SaaS performance. Today, we have our guest, Brian Saunders, joining us. Brian is the founder and CEO at Big Time Software, a cloud-based software for professional services firms that provides software and services to help accountants, architects, engineers, IT service management, and management consultants budget, track, and build their most important asset. Big Time Software has been ranked one of Inc 5000's fastest growing companies in America for two conse- consecutive years. Brian has spent more than 20 years as an exec- executive thought leader and consultant within the tech sector, working successful SaaS-based companies serving from industries ranging from communications to human capital management. Prior to Big Time Software, Brian founded one of Chicago's leading software consulting firms in the 90s. DaVinci Vinci Software, which was later ranked one of Crane's top software firms in 2000. So, welcome, Brian. Super excited
1: to have you on SaaS District Show. That today. is a mouthful of kill. Thanks for thanks for having me on. That, that we put it all together like that. I, I'm looking around for that guy.
0: <laughs> it definitely was. <laughs> um, so, for those of you, maybe don't, aren't as familiar with your background, can you, can you just give us a, a li- little bit, you know, about your background, past ventures, um, up until funding and and uh, running. The, uh, a CEO at Big Time Software.
1: Yeah, yeah, you bet. You know, I, I kind of grew up in product, as you as you mentioned. That you know, I grew up in the '90s when the product was exciting and it, and it didn't exist as a as a as a discipline. So so we would come into either startups or even Fortune companies in Chicago or in the Midwest, and it you know be a product or an idea and a market, and we'd try to get the two of them to fit. You know, and, and later on in the kind of late '90s, we, we brought it got brought in by a lot of boards, you know, to to look at a product that they were excited about, but for some reason it wasn't getting any traction, and it, you know. Help us either shift the product, shift the focus, whatever. And a lot of the stuff you do in Udex today, we did back in the '90s. You know, we lots of interviews, lots of conversations, and that typically uh, led to a bunch of, of, you know, just hard development work. Uh, and that was kind of my history. You know, we, we were a consulting company. We grew to probably 70, 80 people from from three or four uh, subleasing at the time from my wife, who also is an is an entrepreneur, and and uh, it, I had a business partner at the time, and he was great about talking about it. He said, uh, you know, looking back at it, he said most The the way you put it is most of what we learned about how to manage a services firm we learned just through brute experience. It was just you know you figure out like oh that's why you need to track AR oh okay that's why utilization is important. You just you learn these really hard lessons and and process and people you know how to manage how to grow what what a, a stack looks like when you add people in a services firm. So so you know so we we did all that and we ended up selling the company in 2000 um to like a winpoint partners venture and and uh <clears throat> and and then uh you know took a break for a year or two um, while the market settled and and uh, and started doing this kind of consulting with big time. At the time, it, we called it Edison's Attic. And it was basically, hey, is there a way for us to use systems and consulting to give these smaller firms, growing firms like us, access to the kind of tools, these these uh, service automation tools to manage people and manage process and help people learn and, and keep track of where you're at with a project and a budget. Uh, and we, we probably did that for oh, I don't know, 10 years or so. I, I, I probably worked with two or 3,000 firms in that space and, at, you know, just small growing firms in the industries that you outline. And uh, and that kind of led us down the path to this, um, to, to big time. And you know, we, we went to a bunch of trade shows and, and a bunch of people said, who's Edison's attic? And we said, well, you know, big time. And they said, oh yeah, I know that software. So so geniuses that we were, it took us about 10 years to figure out maybe we should name the company big time. Um, and, it, and that kind of coincided with, uh, with this joint venture we did with Intuit. To help them uh, with accounting practice management, and uh, in our first funding round, no, know, something like 2011, uh, and then you know since then. Uh, you know, big time now services about twenty five hundred customers in the industries that you outlined. You know, uh, we're great in AEC architecture, engineering, construction. We don't do hard hats, but we do a lot of architects and engineers. Uh, you know, management consulting. We work with a ton of those guys. IT services is another area that we get we get big with. It's basically any firm that does project work. You know, that any any firm that does work that's got a snout and the tail, and that the snout's exciting, the tail's terrifying. And I got to keep track of how all that all those puzzle pieces fit together. That's where we really come in and help them manage. That with, with
0: software in the cloud, very cool. And, and so you guys mentioned uh, you guys had that initial joint venture round with with Intuit. Was there anything else? Have you guys raised you know additional funding after that, or did you guys stay kind of bootstrapped? And and then where are you guys in terms of you know you said twenty
1: five hundred? You know what's what's the size of your team and. Yeah, yeah, we're we're about twenty five hundred customers, about a hundred people. Um, you know, we, we cracked ten million in ARR last year. We're we're kind of trending toward uh, you know 60 percent growth. That's kind of where we'd like to be. We're not trying to get you know one hundred percent year over year, especially in COVID. But uh, but we're happy with that. The uh, um, the the round that really kind of started us t- down growth equity, we actually closed in twenty nineteen. So so we did a small kind of Series A round with with guys I know in Chicago in twenty eleven. And, and just kind of, uh, you know, sat with that and, and self-funded and kind of bootstrapped, if you will, up until 19. And then, and then we figured out, hey, you know, we, we really the opportunity to scale here. And, and, and we looked around for a long time to find partners that would allow us to, to uh, augment the growth that we have today with, with things like acquisitions and moving into new markets. And, that, and that's where we wanted to find kind of experienced private equity. It was less for us about the, at that time, 2019, it was less about the, the cash and more about uh you know, finding a board that that wasn't tired. You know, in 2019 we had a board that had been around since 2011, yeah. and they were like, "Okay, I don't have anything else to give." You know, and so so we wanted to go out and find somebody who knew that kind of 10 to 50 million dollar range in terms of growth, and yeah. and we ended up getting an investment from Wavecrest Partners out of Boston. Oh yeah, really smart partners. One, uh, our guy. Vebov Nualia is uh, is an ex-Vista guy uh, and and his partner is an ex-bank guy. And they, they kind of got together and and I think they might be on fund too at this point, but but they have a ton of operating experience and connections and stuff. So it was a good fit.
0: Yes, yes. We're very familiar with the guys at, at WaveCrest. Um, qu- question for you on that that, that decision you made in, this, in terms of deciding to raise that round. You said you, you didn't really need the capital... Yeah. Um, you know, there's always that thought, right? It's like, you know we don't really need it, but you know, looking back now, do you think it was worth making that decision of like you know, did you actually see you know, that that kind of incremental growth? Did you see that value add uh, beyond just the the capital?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's always nice to have additional capital. It, it It makes you braver. you know you're gonna you're gonna make certain decisions that are much more conservative if you don't have millions sitting in the bank. and and you know, especially true during covid, that's a it's a lot less stressful twenty twenty for us because there was capital in the bank. Um, so, so, so stuff like that, you, you, you can never say capital doesn't matter, but, you know, we weren't burning. We weren't, it wasn't a life or death kind of, kind of either, uh, turn on the spigot or, or. Or reduce the company size. So yeah. for us, you know, we, we brought in guys who just know this path and it you know, I talk about this all the time when when I d- do conferences and stuff with with people who run professional services firms. We work with thousands of them. And so over time you see patterns, you know, like you start out being really great at being an architect and then at some point you hire a bunch of people and now you're a organization and, and there's this shift that occurs when they're kind of 10, 20 people where suddenly the, the growth path isn't about project work. It's about actually managing people. You make the shift from thinking about projects and customers to thinking about the people you're hiring in process and training. And that same type of pattern emerges for companies like us for SaaS companies. And so you find a private equity firm that has seen, seen the movie before and they can kind of help steer you. Hey, here's here's what it's like to scale up sales and marketing. Here's what it's like to scale up CS. You know, here's timing. Here's the kind of uh, DNA of the people you want to hire in a given set of positions. Here's seven different people you can talk to if you really want to partner and go into that market. Like all of that stuff they've seen before. And so it just makes the decision easier. You know, they're not, mm. they're not, it's not like we're mixing rocket fuel over here. We're you know we're managing professional services firms, but you know you'd rather not have to make the same mistake everybody else makes, and then learn from you know they can just accelerate it by making sure that you understand what the pattern looks like.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a good uh, kind of. It's tough, you know. It's tough. You
1: know it's, uh, I talk yeah. periodically to people that they want to bring onto the portfolio. Just CEOs mm-hmm. who have been through that before, and and one of the conversations I had recently, the guy said, "You know what? Why do I hire a CFO? Like, what's the I, you know I do the books yeah. myself. Why do you need a CFO?" And we had a half hour conversation about how the our CFO who's who's just been through this game so many times. He's done acquisitions. He's done ten to fifty, I think, two or three times, and 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 the it's not like he changes the decisions we make, but he makes it so much easier to understand when and why we should make them. You know, and and like mm. he, Peter can take care of the metrics in a way, he can slice and dice the metrics in a way that really helps us drill in on, all right, so what does the next hire look like? Where are we, where's our gap in training? What What do our customers really look for? What, you know, what do they start with? Where do they end? And so, so he's out there looking at numbers in a way that I just would never have time or patience or the inclination to do. Mm. And, and that type of talent really, changes
0: your strategic direction. 100%. And that's kind of like the, the beauty of like they basically run an analysis and paint a nice picture of what's really going on in, in terms of trends, changes. Um, I mean, that's kind of like
1: the, the, the role of an engineer, right, in financial... It is. Well, right? it, it is. And you know, it's, it's the number of times I, I wander... Peter's literally next door. I can bang on that wall and he'd come in here. The, the number of times that I, that I uh, uh, wander in there and ask him a question and he says, I don't know. Let me look at the number. Let me figure it out. And then he'll do this analysis. Like, Great, so I can ask a question about, you know, how should we grow in the Midwest? Like, who are we really good at recruiting? When do we get most involved? And then he can come back and tell me in, you know, a day or two, and, and it helps us make a better decision. So that type of thing is what I think growth equity brings to the table if you find the right partner. If you're looking for, you know, Wavecrest was not the best offer on the table we were looking for a partner, but they were far and away the the, the smartest operators.
0: Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's important. That's an important part of it. Super important. Um, in terms of the product itself, what was the, why the decision to narrow down the scope of the tool, you know, cause that's always that, 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 that battle as well, right? People are like, you know, I just, I can serve anybody. You guys had accountant, architect and engineers, IT services, consultants. Yeah. Um, and was that why, something my you know, aimed at? Yeah. Was that from the beginning or was that something like, you know, over time, like at the initial stages?
1: It, it, it hmm, that's, that's a fair time. question. Um, yeah. Well, oh, it's been a lot of water the bridge. I would say we've been focused on that vertical from the beginning, but the okay. temptation is to be very horizontal and B2B. Right, like, it, like you right. know, you look at the kind of unicorns in, B, in the B two B space that you know Slack. Even in my little space, you know, we, acquisitions for uh, anything from T sheets to Reich. Like these are very horizontal apps that could be used by anybody, right? And so that the negative about that is they could be used by anybody. And so even those organizations, when you look at how they grew, they grew by looking for a specific industry to penetrate. And so I really, you know, I'm kind of old school. I, I have a, you know two or three kind of standard approaches to business that I take, and, and if it doesn't fit that I'm not interested, in. and this that one of those processes is establishing a beachhead via industry, and and what that lets you do is it lets you get really deep into a specific workflow. You 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 brought up a you know in our in our kind of pre conversation about you know how do you compete against these big because you know there's some big companies out there that are doing this type of stuff. Salesforce gets involved, QuickBooks gets involved. Those are billion dollar public companies with massive you know engineering teams and opportunity and and ability. And the question is, how do you compete against them? And that that answer is, look, you you have to find a a niche, whatever it is, where you can be number one. I don't care if you're a five-person SaaS firm or, you know, us, a hundred-person firm growing to 350. You still have to find the niche where you can claim number one and then build on that, you know? And so for us, focusing on those industry verticals meant that while QuickBooks is phenomenal at managing your accounting system, they don't know anything about how to manage an IT services firm. And they don't want to, you know, they, this is a billion dollar organization, a 100 million in revenue just to hit his growth number like that, just to hit his like, nice job number every year. And so, uh, so our little bit industry is just it's too specific for them to get involved in. And so you mm. can compete against these really larger players by finding a niche like that, and exploiting it. And if, if it's a fantastic niche with some growth opportunity, you have a, a nice chance to create a disruptive advantage
0: quick question on, on top of that well you know if somebody's thinking you know because i, I was you know make that suggestion as well you know focus on a few niches would you suggest they start with with one with you know would you say you know go try two to three and then see which one actually sticks or are, are you start are you starting with you know four or five at the beginning do you have do you have a framework on how to how to tackle
1: that well, you, you kind of know it when you know it. Like, if you're a product person, you you uh you know when you've made a connection. It's it's mm-hmm. funny. We we I had this the guy into it that I work with, Aaron Brady, who's phenomenal in product. He's gone on to do a bunch of other things, and it, but he was he's brilliant. And and so we would go and sit with these accountants and kind of walk through what we were doing together. And and you know we I probably sat on fifty or or sixty either phone calls or face to face meetings with Aaron. We, you know, go into some uh you know, some guy's living room in Las Vegas and like literally watching hours. And, uh, and it, most of those, you'd kind of sit and listen, sit, listen and nod. And, and then at one point, you know, we found a way to deal with workflow differently. So it's like accounting firms are weird. That's more ERP than, than consulting. It's, is they imagine, you know, a, a 10 person firm with 2000 projects and they're all due on the same day, right? That's a tax firm. And so, mm-hmm. so the, it, the workflow is super important, like getting it through the, the channel is super important. So we came up with UX that, that would help them with that workflow. And you could see people like, you know, the, the, the demos, people would start to grab the mouse, and they, you know they're really interested, and they have a ton of suggestions, and, and like suddenly that they get animated, and, it, and this and once we got to that, Aaron said, "Oh yeah, okay, but now we have something like now now we're now we're cooking, right?" And so I think you want to explore a niche deep enough that you can get that kind of visceral response. Then when you get it, you know, pour a little gas on it and see how deep you can go.
0: Love it. That, that, that so that sense. might
1: be it. Might be like your exploration of a niche does not have to be. A giant business plan. We're going to go after a niche. Like, don't don't do that until you know. You know, or 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 if it's a massive investment that requires that kind of forward thinking, but it it could be as simple as we're gonna we're gonna you know try it with a few web pages and a ton of conversations, and we're going to spend you know a few months and see how deep we can get and if we get any traction, and then just double down on the traction. You know.
0: Right. No, makes perfect sense. Um, do you have any other challenges you could say you, you can share you know over these last few years? You've been around for you know doing this for for quite a while in terms of growing you know big time software. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not that's not what I meant. I meant you were a young man. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any you know you know big challenges you'd say you know in terms of staying afloat before you guys raised any round or were you guys you know pretty
1: you know consistent growth year over year since the beginning? And, you know I've always been um, uh, uh, more cash flow focused than than mm. than kind of growth focused. I I get that there's this kind of. Um, now they talk about it derisively, but it's really not, I don't think it's fair. I think it's just a different philosophy that this kind of valley mentality of growth at any cost, right? Uh, And sometimes that makes sense because they're basically saying, look, we're charging through the forest, we're not going to spot how to convert this to revenue until we get to the point where we have X or Y, and we've got money to throw at it. Our our constricted resources is traction, right? So let's go find it. Um, but for me, my my resource, my kind of limiting agent, has been capital. And so we've always tried to grow the business capital efficient. And it, you know, you have years where where uh, that's just not possible, and so you you scale back a little bit in terms of growth. So we've always sacrificed kind of um, you know growth and market penetration to just making sure that we run things capital. Efficient. It's actually weird to have. But yeah, I had a conversation with a with a a British guy last year who, who was you know looking at the company for a bunch of different reasons. A, a, a private equity guy, and he's really irritated that we have so much cash on the balance sheet. You know, like was, I don't understand. Like you're growing cash. You just got an investment. Why are you growing cash on the balance sheet? I'm thinking. I, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that question, before, but, 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 you know, it makes sense. It's a different mentality for us. It's always been what can you accomplish with the resources you have in place? And so, look, if, if your growth rate is 10 or 15% and you manage to do that because you only have a certain amount of cash in place, I can sell that story all day long right? Somebody who's now going to pour fuel in the fire. The the issue is you can't sell that story if you run out of cash. And so, mm. uh, you know, so you need to aco- set goals for yourself that you can accomplish with the resources that you've got in place. That that could literally be that the 40 hours a week when you're starting out that you might have in addition to your regular job and the 10 grand you got from your father-in-law. Like, you know, resources are different for everybody, but what you want to do is find a goal that's realistic within those resources. And then Mm. it's all about traction. What, you know, what traction can you get? What milestone can you hit with that resource? And even when you're starting out in SaaS, you know, angel investors, they're goofy. they like, (laughs) You know, your goal is to get to what's the next milestone. And if you can really clearly define what the next milestone is, even if that milestone is pre-revenue or, or if the milestone is, uh, you know, not quite the right, you know, kind of investment size. But you can paint a compelling picture for why you could use this resource to hit that milestone. It just lets everybody focus, you know. The whole team can, can zero in on hitting that milestone. And then now now pivots become, you know. Gut wrenching because you know you yeah. had a milestone everybody agreed to it people put money in and it. it's not gonna work we got to pivot but that's mm-hmm. all right that's you know that's why they why it's called work right yeah yeah
0: I mean having those constraints really just kind of forces you to make you know a lot better decisions I mean you just can't afford to make uh, you know just blow the cash and, and, and you will see what what happens, you have to be kind of efficient with
1: your money. Yeah, How yeah, do you kind the of change your... Way of, the snotty way of saying that is that is that <laughs> venture capital firms are, are are really good at making really great small ideas into really terrible big ideas. And it's, it's just, you know, mm. sometimes you need calendar time and you need stuff to bake. And if it doesn't have time mm. to bake, it's going to come out all weird, right? So, uh, you know, being capital constrained can sometimes be an advantage.
0: And, and so, I mean, from your perspective today, I mean, now you're saying, I have a lot of cash in my account. How do you stay discipline to not go out and say okay now that i don't have all these you know constraint cash specifically being one of them how do you how do you stay disciplined to not go out and say hey i can we can go and acquire another company or you know because you're still growing 50 60% year over year but you could also add fuel, and, you know, double your team, you know, and decide, hey, let's let's do that.
1: And, and, I, and I've had plenty of, you know, at this point, I've met most of the CEOs in my industry and adjacent industries. And there are plenty of those folks who have gone off the rails because of exactly that. It, listen, you got to surround yourself with like-minded people. If you're the, if you're like growth at all costs, we're going to, you know, burn a bunch of cash and that's the direction we're going to head and we're going to grow something huge. You better find investors that agree with that, right? And and, you know, the, the, the hardest thing to do when you're talking to people who are gonna put money into the company is to try and figure out, all right, we probably spent eight months finding WaveCrest, just finding WaveCrest, you know, like talking to a bunch of people, taking every phone call, getting a feel for like-minded investors who, you know, even though they've got cash behind them, look, we want to build this capital efficient. I think that growth rate makes sense. Here's four things you haven't thought about. You know, maybe we could help you with those. Like finding somebody who's like-minded, who will, who, who will stick to the same discipline is really important with your team. So you know, just just because somebody's a rock star in a given uh, uh, field, whether it's product or or you know CFO, we're just talking about, if you can't find senior executives who are like-minded in terms of your you know keeping you disciplined, then you know you'll go off the rails. And th- the problem mm-hmm. with that is is not that it's bad to burn cash if you've got cash in the bank, or, you are know, trying to grow a company. That like I said, there's nothing wrong with that philosophy, but you're not used to. To you know, running that track, right? You're not used to being in those woods, and so suddenly you're in a whole different set of. And I mean, the metrics are different, the people are different, the approach is different, the definition of a milestone is different. like it's different. And if you're not used to being in that space, you know, if you get out of your comfort zone in terms of what your discipline is. It, it, you know, it can lead to problems.
0: Expectations are a lot different too, right? And now you have a different, you know, terms, different level of pressure and how you operate. And maybe it's not for you. Not everybody, you know, wants to operate like that. Yeah. 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 Right. So you mentioned the team. That, that word, I think, is super important. You mentioned, you know, brilliant teams are built and not bought or bored. Can you elaborate on, on what that means? And uh, what are you doing in terms of, you know, a culture or management to develop a brilliant team uh, at Big Time Software now to over 100 employees?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a fair question. It's It's probably the chief responsibility and struggle, I would say, building building a team because you want to grow fast. So you're going to have to hire outside talent. The, the, for us, the key is hiring outside talent that can help, you know, our existing talent grow. And, it, you know, the, the reality is... It's, it, <laughs> Some folks don't want to grow in the same way that you do, right? So, that, so of course you're going to outgrow people who were great team members when you were, you know, 5 million that are, that are not great team members when you're 25 million. That's fine. That That's cool. It happens all the time. People are, are excited about being in a certain space. It's especially true in sales and marketing where people are just used to pitching companies at a certain size. And then the company gets bigger and, and the responsibilities change and they have to focus on seven different balls. And, and people don't like that. They kind of self-select. So, Uh, uh, Godard Abel at at G2 does this whole presentation on, on what it, what it's like to grow a company and and the the cutoffs and stuff. He's an engineer at heart. So, so so is very, you know, take a little engineering funny bone in in my head. But, um, you know, I, I think you do outgrow people. You can't keep everybody, but, um, Truly great leaders within your organization are going to have some history with the organization. They're going to understand the nuance. The longer you keep them, the more they understand that nuance. And and as long as you know you're all agile, meaning that you can learn the the new rules of the game when the game changes, that. The understanding that nuance is hugely helpful in terms of of pushing the company forward. So for us, it's all about when we hire, when we top people, hire people who can help our existing staff accelerate. Uh, don't just top people because the position is open. We have to find people who are going to be rock stars in that space. So, so we're willing to wait for that, um, in order to find rock stars for the, for the space that we're trying to hire. And then what's the training program? What's the, what's the career path? What's the plan? You know, and, and, and a lot of that is literally sitting down with your people. the the key employees and others every single quarter and trying to figure out, all right, well, we said you wanted to be here. You know, where are we? What, what can we do? How can we give you space to accomplish that? What kind of training can we make available? Where are you frustrated? And, and is that still the plan? Is that still something you're interested in? Uh, And, you know, a lot of that is just, is just shoe leather and, and, you know, getting in touch with people and, and kind of connecting and making sure that you understand it periodically it's you know, we have a person who's a brilliant product manager here at the organization, she, and and she's awesome. And she grew up in our our uh, support team. You know, she grew up uh, years ago answering phone calls from customers and helping them understand the product. And so she just has this, you know, two years or so of experience of hearing the problems that people have and the frustrations and where the product doesn't make sense. So then, when she got into kind of QA and product, we slowly kind of, hey, this is a great career path for like you haven't thought about product and it's not something that's on your radar, but you should go get certified in these three things. And so you, you kind of over time, ideally can help spot where somebody just has an affinity for a given skill set, And then, you know, encourage that with training and some outside resources.
0: Mm. So your worst
1: case scenario is that you train somebody up and they go work somewhere, somewhere else, but that's awesome. Like at the end of the day, you know, know, look, we use Slack here. We use it a ton, Mm -hmm. you know, 15 years from now, I promise you, no one at this firm is going to remember what Slack is. But if you're lucky, they'll remember the person that was their manager who helped them move up. And so there's your opportunity to make a lasting impression on somebody 15 years later. That's why you're here. You know, you're not, you're not here to, you know to solve problems and get you know check in points and 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 you know close deals i get it that's what you do every day you're here to help your your uh, you know fellow employees advance you're you're here to help the customers that we work with actually grow and, and hire more people and get bigger like those are the things that people remember they're not going to remember the the day to day stuff you know the, yeah. The
0: yeah yeah it's always gut wrenching right when you're you know top employees after you've groomed them invested so much into them and they leave but then you have to also look at it like you know, this is like, you know, your child moving out, you know, they've grown up, they're adults now, they've nurtured them, you've taken them and now they're ready to move on. To yeah, There's and open, again, like, I'm an old man. The number yeah. of times that
1: somebody has done that and then come back to me, you know, five, 10 years later and been really helpful in some way or mm. just sent a note when you're, you know, when you're like feeling like you can't manage your way out of a paper bag to say, Hey, I'm using that thing that you taught me. I'm whiteboarding exactly the way that we did back in the day, you know, like, okay. All right. So I'm not doing this for nothing. So, you know, it does pay dividends. You just have to approach it the right way. And especially in this labor market, this is a crazy, weird little market. Uh, You know, it it can be frustrating, but, but you have to remember that you're, you're kind of, you're, You're investing in people, and that will eventually return, whether it returns to you or to your community, doesn't really matter. Your Mm. your goal is to help kind of improve their capability and advance their career.
0: Yeah. A quick note from our sponsors today, and we'll be right back. Being a great manager has never been harder. The relationship between employees and their managers is the key driver of workplace productivity and engagement. We believe with the right tools, managers can be exceptional leaders. Work Patterns is designed to make team management easier than ever by enabling continuous one-on-one feedback, collaborative meetings, goal tracking, and workflow management all in one place. Whether you're a manager struggling to stay on top of things or a CEO whose organization has outgrown its systems, visit WorkPatterns.com to see how they can help. Now back to the show. When it comes to kind of uh, you know talking a little more about the productivity side, and you know once you have that team, how, um, do you have any recommendations for say SaaS founders? You know you, you've been doing this, uh, you, you probably remember even from the initial stages. When it comes to developing and, and you know building that strong productive team, do you have any tips to maximize? maximize team productivity but also being careful on activities that may you know do the opposite effect
1: yeah that's the hard part right mm-hmm. like it, uh, the number of people who you know people get frustrated by uh, turns. And, you know, uh, I get that you have to pivot periodically, but if you're pivoting every week, then that's problematic, right? And so, so, you know, you have to be cognizant enough of your team to let them get their work done, which, which ultimately means you have to have faith in them to get your, their work done, right? Like you have to give them room in order to achieve. That doesn't mean that everybody gets to have, you know, a set of goals for the year and then go away, right? And so, mm-hmm. so I think the, the big, leap. And this is true in the, our customers too. We, we preach this to our customers a lot. you got to get into a cadence. And it can't be an annual cadence. It's got to be, you know, quarterly is great, monthly is great, you know, having kind of weekly meetings where you're accomplishing small stuff. You really get productive when there is a cadence. And, you know, the Agile kind of teaches you that, right? Like the developers are like, yeah, no, I'm kidding. And of course, you you need know, a two-week cadence where you get stuff out. You can't have a project plan to last two years and then expect that, that you'll achieve anything. You need to narrow it down into things that bite Size things that can be bitten off and and accomplished within a week or two, and so mm. every firm is a little different with cadence. We tend to be a little di- dictatorial with our customers, right? Like we, we we push them to be into a weekly court qu- or into a monthly quarterly cadence, just because that that tends to be how they review projects. Um, but but whatever yours is as a, as a as a SaaS organization, get together every period, have goals that are reasonable. have I? You know, you're going to be terrible at figuring out what you can accomplish within that whatever that finite period is. And so say you decide We're gonna, every month we're going to have a set of goals. You're going to be terrible at setting monthly goals. But after the third or fourth month, you should actually be pretty good at it. Maybe you hit 80% of them, right? You're never going to hit 100% because some of them are no longer valid. But if you can get to that kind of 70, 80%, now you've figured out what size goals your team can accomplish. That type of velocity, that type of, of regular cadence is what separates truly great teams from just kind of mediocre teams. You can always mm-hmm. hire talent, right? But to get everybody coordinated, Everybody needs to play together. We all need to have mm. goals that, that are coordinated in a in a in a time frame and a cadence that everybody agrees to, and, and everybody can kind of operate at that at that rate.
0: Yeah. So okay. that, I mean, that's on, on the team side. And then, what about you know yourself as the CEO and business leader? Do you, how do you maintain you know your productivity, improve your own goal setting, and making kind of those empowered decisions and strategic directions? While still, you know, effectively leading and inspiring your your team, do you have any, any tips or, or tricks? It's, it's for, a good question.
1: Uh, yeah. When you're when you're smaller, and even today, you know, even even at a hundred people, um, as the as the founder or as the CEO, you kind of have an idea of where you want to take the organization right? Okay. And, and the reality is that's kind of what led, that's what grew the, the company to where it's at, wherever it happens to be. I don't care if it's an idea on a piece of paper, you have kind of a vision for where you want to take it. Now, you you might need some practice executing against that vision. But but eventually, as, as the CEO of the company, people look to you to kind of uh, make decisions that are consistent with the vision, right? Like, I want to be a great product person. I want to be a great CFO. I, you know, I want to be a really great, uh, you know, head of CS. I don't want to have to worry about where we're taking the company. My job is to make sure that when we're all done, when we all execute on our cadence, and we get to where we want to be, the company we built is a company we can be proud of. And sometimes that requires you to make these decisions that aren't necessarily clear to everybody in the room. And and the key, the reason I bring up decisions is because specifically mm. as a CEO, you got to try to avoid relitigating them. Right. Like you're going to have decisions where the team doesn't necessarily all agree. Right. Once you make the decision and you're going to charge in that direction, you, it's OK to be wrong, but you don't want to relitigate the decision every time you get together. I mean, the, the number of teams, so I sit on a couple of boards and the number of teams that are are insecure about a decision they've made, whether it's strategic or tactical, and and they just relitigate it every week. Like you had this conversation last week. What are you doing? Like you, you've already made that decision, so so okay, we're going to stick with this for a quarter, and we're out of time it again. That's the decision we made, right, as a team. That's what we decided, and it, you just lose so much energy constantly, kind of relitigating the same decision. You got to get mm-hmm. that. If you eliminate that, you'll save a boatload of time as a as a leader. Mm-hmm. And do you have any dictatorial? Yeah. It does mean that at some point you have to just make a decision and go. Mm-hmm.
0: And do you, do you have any specific, you know, maybe tools or strategies or hacks or? and even a framework that you can share on how you make kind of better, you know, A, make better decisions and B, maybe in- increase your productivity?
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's difficult to get to that cadence, that conversation without a metric in place, whatever it right. happens to be. And, it, you know, again, I'm not re- mixing rocket fuel over here, but when we have a, when we have a problem, when we have a thing that we're trying to address. I typically let the team hash it out. You know, so so let's say that we've got a, oh, I don't know, a backlog of people who need to get up and running it. We, we we close, you know, between 50 and 100 new companies every month, right? So we have a lot of people who are new to the system at any given time. And our, our goal is to watch and make sure they grow, make sure they're getting into, you know, adopting the product. Uh, and, and so if we have a backlog, we had one a, a few months ago of people getting into the system, I kind of let the CS team hash it out. Like what, you know, Tell me what the plan is. Let me know. We'll, 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 we'll make sure it's working. Give it a week. Give it two weeks. Okay, what's the metric? Let's find a number. You know, how many customers are in that state? And every day or every week or every period, just tell me what the number is. And it, you'd be mm-hmm. shocked at how it's just put a number in front of it. and you know, whatever that number happens to be, sales is good at this because they're used to it. Development is good at this because they, you know, they're used to sprints, right? The rest of the world, not, not as good at it, but you, mm-hmm. you put a number in front of people. That's a the number they can control and the number you're going to look at, the number that tells you whether it's successful or not successful. And you'd be shocked at how quickly that number moves. And it, it's a pattern, <laughs> right? Like it, what's the number? I don't know. 42. What's the number tomorrow? 42. What's the number the third day? For, okay, why is it still 42? And now suddenly, just almost imperceptibly, it turns into, it's still 42, but. And then, mm-hmm. hey, it's 41 because. And now it's 38 because. And now we're, you know, like, slowly but surely, the number gets down to zero, right? Where, where, where you want it to be. And, and right. people kind of self-correct. When you have to when you have to slack that number to the CEO every day, all right, suddenly you want to put a little descriptor in there if, it, if it's paused. And before you put it, you're going to ask people, "Hey, I'm going to report the same number three days in a row. Why is that, right?" Mm. So, so it kind of naturally corrects itself. But you have to have something people can rally around, you know, and celebrate. Mm. Gets to zero, you, you know, everybody has to go out and have a beer and and be excited about it and celebrate, right? So, without that number, you're kind of like, you know, you lose track of the fact that you solved the problem.
0: Love it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's just like. You know, going to the gym or whatnot, right? If you're not tracking your, your weight or your calories or whatever, I mean, you don't really know How where tracks, you're going. Think here. about
1: that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm terrible at working out, but it, but it, like, when, you, when you're when you training to do something, when you know you want to get a certain number of miles a week, or you know, you want to get mm-hmm. a certain number, or you want to get, a, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the, the lift is, like, all right, you focus more. Whereas if you're just going in three times a week to check the box, all right, well, you're not going to make much progress.
0: Yeah. That's I got my, my little, my watch here. Same thing. Like I actually now pay attention to it. I'm like, oh, I only Thanks have for not giving a couple me a more stems. Analogy,
1: by the way, that's awesome. <laughs> okay. I like that it was listing at the
0: first it, it, all, it all adds up. It's the same thing. It applies everywhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so, you know, you obviously have a unique perspective, you know, building tech companies, you know, producing, you know, cash flow, focusing on cash and obviously you built a product that customers love if you're, if you're going kind of at that speed. Do you have any, you know, recommendations or, or, uh, yeah, to, to kind of the new generation of entrepreneurs when creating and building maybe their next SaaS company that you know you've learned from and think they can they can inspire to to apply as well. Well, uh, you
1: know, I'm terrible at investing. Like, I, I'm really good at, at finding product that I'm enamored of, but it's typically never what the market is enamored of. So, so um, you know, like I I remember zip drives once upon a time, and I was just I thought they were the greatest things since sliced bread, and I just completely missed like you know digital storage. So, so. You know i'm not the i'm not the silicon valley type where i can spot you know what what's coming around the bend uh i do think if 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 you're kind of a little bit more midwestern and you're trying to grow things in a cash flow positive way and and, and you know uh, uh uh capital efficient way probably you know, focus on what you know. Like you're, you're going to be involved in a specific problem, whatever that problem is. You should have an intimate understanding of the problem. You know, when we built big time, remember, I, like <laughs> I grew up making every mistake in the book, building a, a services firm from zero to 80 people. It, it was difficult. And, and, and so I knew the problem intimately. I don't think I would be successful if I didn't. Uh, you know there are product people who can do that who can who can devise a solution to a problem that they haven't experienced personally don't have an intimate knowledge of it but mm. they do it the good ones by making a million phone calls and by sitting in front of a million people you have to know the problem intimately and then you'll be like Aaron in that in that meeting with with an account You'll see the, the faces light up and you'll you'll spot it. Okay, that's it. That's the thing. And now, you know, you get some successes, you de- develop some traction. The pitch is so much easier when you go out to find funding to really scale up because you can tell stories like that. You know, you can talk about the problem specifically. Instead of, instead of having a, an investor ask you, what big problem do you solve? You should be leading with that. Like that should be right out there. Here's the problem. Here's the cost. Here's the total market. This is why it's important. Now let's talk about the solution, right? And so, so the more intimate you are with the with the problem, the more successful your solution is going to be. And, and then the second piece of that is, that, you know, I I talk to a lot of people who are Chicago's big startup community, right? So, so I get a lot of emails and phone calls from people who are, who are starting up and, and, and you know, kind of investing in the market. And uh, the only, I'm not a big fan of giant business plans. I'm not a big fan of like, you know, lots of the, the, the number of people who talk themselves out of an adventure, who, 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 strangle themselves with a spreadsheet, right? Cause they just can't get the numbers to work. you got to roll up your sleeves and try it. You know, you're going to trial and error and you're going to pivot. You just want to make sure that what you're working at, you're putting so much energy into the market is big enough that it, know it can handle your big dreams right so so i get that there are you know the the famous uh test case of 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 uber um you know completely underestimating the size of the market right like everybody goes to that that presentation but at least they did the work to say it's big enough it may be bigger maybe huge but this thing that we're reaching for is big enough that it's worth the effort so between Mm. those two things the problem i know and a solution that where where if we get it right, it's big enough that it supports my dreams. That's all you need. And just roll up your sleeves and get started.
0: Mm, love it. Brian, I want to shift gear a little bit to, to kind of go a little bit more on a personal level. Um, yeah, it's about to get serious here. <laughs> what, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known and would tell your, your 25-year-old self?
1: Boy, 25. I was not as smart as people are today at 25. I, you know, I mean, they, they've got podcasts like yours to, to learn from. I, I think the the stuff that we have been talking about so far is our lessons hard learned, right? Like there is a certain amount of um, uh, being smarter about the size of the opportunity being smarter about spotting patterns like it took me until well into my 30s before i figured out oh you know what other people have done the same like i don't have to (laughs) i don't have to go out and reinvent the wheel every time we come inside like i the first thing i do now is pick up the phone and call 40 people to figure out what lms system are you using what works how do you implement it like there's so many people who have gone through this before you want to surround yourself with people who can give you quick answers to problems that are not you know, core differentiators, you know, like how do you build a sales team? Look, do not reinvent that wheel. There are tons of people out there who are really smart about building a sales team and when it's appropriate. You know, there are certain things that are rocket science. Fine. You know, we do a lot of high velocity sales and there are a lot of people that are good at that, but there are people who are good at that. So now you just want to figure out how to network to them and and see if you can, you know, solicit their help. It's Mm -hmm. the worst thing you can do is not pick up the phone at 25. Like Mm -hmm. I, I have a 19 year old son uh, 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 20 actually. And and that's the thing that, that I struggle with whenever we talk, Hey, you know, pick up the phone. You got to talk to people. If you're really passionate about that thing is there's, there's probably four people in the world that you'd love to talk to, call them, email them, send them a, send them a note, try and link in with them. Like ask them a question. Most of us, you know, I'm not going to sit down and review your business plan, but most of us are happy to give advice. If, if we have something that's relevant to what you're trying to accomplish, um, you know, it's not a sell. You're genuinely looking for advice, and and you have a ton of people who say no. That's fine. They're busy. Move on. Find somebody who knows and and, and ask the question. Get out there and and, and network and find yeah. folks who can help you go faster.
0: Yeah, you'd be surprised how many times that works. I mean, simple. You know, any problem you're you're solving, right? Whether you, I mean, it's a, it's a big decision, and you're just not sure. Uh, yeah, I've done that countless times. I just you know found some people who have who maybe already done this, and I've done it several times, and just you know sending them an email, sending them a tweet or a DM, and. Uh, hey, I'm I'm having this issue. This is what I'd love to chat. I know it seems like you're an expert in this. There's, there's experts in everything these days, right? And they they do this day in day out. So why try to figure it out on your own, right? And
1: and it's funny because a lot of guys don't or 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 women don't realize they're experts. You know, like <laughs> oh, okay, well I noticed that you did these you did these four things, and I'm curious how you did it. And that, like you know, you'll ask the wrong question. They'll they'll uh, uh, you know assume that that you know steer you in the right direction. I mean. The, I think I kind of figured that out because we had so many conversations in both rounds of funding with people who were investors and, and then, you, you know, take every call, talk to them, ask them, put your strategy in front of them. Like, this is where, how I want to grow. What do you think? If they're great, if you're talking to the partner or, you're even, you know, a principal like the, the, they'll tell you where you're wrong. I mean, they'll tell you the pattern that you're not fitting. Like, I, I don't know, if it's big and hairy and you're way off, then, then you know, they might say, those numbers aren't adding up to me. But but most of the time, you know, you, you just have a conversation that will move you forward a little bit.
0: Mm. Yeah. Brian, what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow your firm? You know, what's keeping you up at night these days?
1: Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. I still obsess over product, right? So, so I thought about that. You, you, uh, you know, what keeps you up at night? I get that question a ton. And, and most of the time, it's something small. And most of the time, it's product related. My head of product has to hate me or or her husband <laughs> hates me, one of the two, because, it, you know, I'm assuming that nobody's online at, at midnight when I ask the question and then she'll pop up and say, like, I'll look tomorrow. Sorry about that. Like, you know, so, so I still obsess over product a a ton. Um, you know, these days in, in 2021, I think we're in a really, really dangerous labor market. You know, I, I think there's a a little bit of a prisoner's dilemma going on, right? Where, where I recruit your people and you recruit my people and we slit each other's throat. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's bad for every, everybody. It's bad for companies. It's bad for employees. It's bad for us, you know, nationally. So I think it's a, it's a really tricky labor market. And so solutions to that problem that don't involve cannibalizing the city of Chicago and other growing companies, I think that keeps me up a ton. You know, we're trying to make sure that we raise up talent and raise up the city and, and not try and kind of be corporate raiders and, and you know, be each other the death um, You know, plenty of opportunity out there. And I think the tendency in the labor market today is to rely on, uh, you know, a, a recruiting engine that frankly is is outdated and, and, and um, uh, irresponsible. And so, so I think especially in this year, it'll probably fade in 22 or, or, you know, late 22, early 23. But in this labor market, it's a pretty dangerous time, uh, you know, for communities. And so uh, that kind of keeps me up a little bit. Are you guys only hiring on in the local area in Chicago, or do you guys
0: hire remotely? Locally?
1: No, actually, we we're, we uh, we just opened an office in Phoenix, so so we're trying to staff that up a ton. Um, you know, we're we're interested in hiring in, in a couple of other locations in to, in the in the U.S. Uh, in particular, you know, uh, Boston, D.C. Those are those are markets that we're trying to break into with with uh, with physical presence. Obviously, most people today are hiring any, anywhere, right? That um, mm. culturally, I like the fact that we have an office people can come to and see sure. each other. You know, like it, like it, like I said, at the end of the day, your your goal as a big timer is to help other people advance, and and whether that's a customer or another staff member or you know your your fellow workers or your managers, like your goal is to help them. Uh, that's your mission, and so it's hard to do when when you're you know in Slack and 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 on Zoom calls all day. You need to be occasionally face to face and 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 see the reaction that people have when you when you give them a task or, or when they succeed or fail and celebrate with them and and you know comfort them when they when they don't. Succeed so so for us that physical presence is really important. So those mm-hmm. those kind of physical locations is the plan in the U.S. We, we initially thought uh, in 2020 we'd expand to London. We'll probably reopen that once the world reopens. But for now, we're, we're trying to focus on making sure that in the U.S. we have decent physical presence in those in those ge- geographies.
0: Right, hundred percent.
1: Yeah. So I mean, if, if anybody
0: listening in is looking for you know a new career change and looking oh, to join to join Brian, <laughs> check them out and uh, they're they're hiring and looking to grow um Brian who or what are some of the best three resources it can be books you know people mentors or people you maybe you follow who'd say they've been the most instrumental to your
1: success over these last few years it's funny that that changes over time right like it, yeah. like you have certain certain periods of time where where um some things are really helpful uh there's a um Two books that are foundational to my approach, right? Like, and they're, they're, they're old, but, but if you're, you're in SaaS or you're in software, I feel like you should read them. But one of them is crossing the chasm, that Jeffrey Moore book. And it, it, don't read the, the cliff notes on it. Go out and get the book and read it. It's a short read. Um, it's quick. He wrote a bunch of other stuff too. And I'm sure you'd get pissed if you heard it, but I, but I feel like that's the seminal work, right? Like that's the one that really, that really changes your thinking. It, it helps you approach a market differently, right? It helps you look at the beginning of a market and say, all right, well, what does success actually look like? Right, so so that's that's super important, and then and then Innovator's Dilemma is is a much misunderstood and maligned uh, book. But if you if you read the original, if you go through it, it's thick and and dense. But if you kind of go through the original and really understand what what Christensen was saying, I think it really helps in software to understand where how you can develop a comparative advantage against these huge giant organizations. And you know, innovative kind of disruptive innovation doesn't have to be technical. You know, like, you know, he studies, I don't know, disk drives or something, and, and it's very technical. It's steam engines versus, versus hydraulic. It's just, it's goofy, but it, it can be structural too. You know, what we talked about before, the, the, the head of QuickBooks has to have a hundred million dollars in, in, in incremental revenue just to hit his, his, you know, passable number at 10% growth, right? So, so because of that, they have a structural impediment against approaching something where you could build a 20 or $30 million business. That's a big business for, for, for entrepreneurs. On- you could, you could be, do really well in that space, and you structurally they're in, they're prevented from getting into it. And so that, that if you read "Innovators Dilemma" and broaden your mind about it a little bit, those two together are are super helpful. And then I I, I have no idea. You said three. Yeah, you have a third. <laughs> That's a good question. You know, I, I grew up in political science, right? So, so most of my outside reading is—I don't read business books. You know? Like, I, I just can't. You know, so so I think there's a lot of, of kind of decision theory. What, what we talked about before, where look, you know, everything in the box is equally rational. Kant talks about it a ton. And it, it, as long as you make a choice within the box, just make a choice and move forward is better than than sitting around trying to find the the, the perfect solution. So, um, it's, that that comes to play a lot. But but I you know I tend to not. Get into business books a ton. There's a bunch of marketing stuff that I've read recently. that uh, uh, story narrative that that uh, that I thought was really helpful in terms of, of outlining your your uh, specific problem and, and involving your customer in the story as opposed to just talking about yourself. Um, so, so some of that stuff is really helpful for marketing. I don't know I, if you really think about it. I can, yeah, I can that's cool. Ten, but they're usually little papers by somebody who's who's written something. You know. We, we uh, The guys who we work with, our, our partner has been really helpful too, the, the private equity guy, just because he's been through this a million times. And so, mm-hmm. so um, it's helpful to have somebody who uh, is a lot more thoughtful as opposed to focused on the spreadsheet. And and I'll call V and say, this is a problem I'm struggling with. And he'll say, okay, got it. And then, you know, two days later, he'll text me back and hey, talk to this guy. That, you know, I talked about your problem and he thought he, he might have a fix for it. And so, so, that type of resource, I rely on a ton, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's helpful to have that kind a partner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, you know, the first book you mentioned, it sh- kind of sh- gave you kind of framework of what, you know, success looks like, you know, from a, from a different perspective. What, what does success mean to you today from either, you know, personally, financially, business, life, um, you know, there's no right answer.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> it probably changes every day. Just like everything yeah. else, you know, I have four kids. And so you think a lot about their success as opposed <laughs> to yours. Uh, Honestly, like at some point you shift from thinking about closing customers and increasing revenue to building a company that you'll be proud of, right? And so, uh, you know, I think for for us, for me specifically, professionally, I think, you know, big time will end up growing to be really big in the space. We're already number one in PSA. That's awesome. And obviously, we have revenue goals. You know, we want to win. It's still a, you know, you still have a competitive nature, right? But at the end of the day, when you get there, especially in today's environment, make sure you're building a company you're proud of, you know, make sure you take time out to say, all right, well, wait a second. Is this really the group of people we want to be? That's true, by the way, when you get a ton of pressure right now to uh, ditch your offices and and go completely virtual and, and not have people have any interaction and, you know make sure that when you play that out in the long game that's the company you want to be there are advantages to that there are huge positives for that there's an opportunity for you to lift up communities that you're not a part of right like it's a it's a big opportunity beyond just finding people to do the same job cheaper right you can really make have a, have an impact on a community where you are not physically proximate right but Make sure that at the end of the day, when you do that, that's the company you actually want to be. And for us, you know, if five, 10 years down the line, big time is, is you know, a hundred million dollar SaaS company and kind of the leader in the space and, you know, the 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 undisputed leader in kind of uh, time and expense and billing. Awesome. But what kind of company is it? Right. Like, I don't want to run into an Uber problem where we're building a huge company, but it's, it's not the type of company we want to be. Right. And but so that's right, the yeah. thing that I think really defines success for me at the moment.
0: Mm. Is is that your goal? 100 million? Or or do you have... You you don't have a... You have a specific target before you move
1: on. Always changes, you know. I, I can't see around the corner, right? So, so when yeah. we first made this investment, I thought, okay, well, you know, 20 million is a reasonable goal for us to get to. And then when you, when 20 in sight, you're thinking, okay, well, what does 40 or 50 look like? And and I'm positive, you know, right now we kind of have our eyes on on kind of that 50 to 70 million time frame, and just because you can see it, you know, what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah. so, like yeah. as you climb, you can see the next peak and think, okay, well, it's, that I can get to. But then once you reach it, it's a whole new level. You know, at some point it's going to get big enough that I, I. Just don't have the expertise to manage it you know like, that's not my gig and somebody else will come along and and you know be the new ceo and i'll, I'll get to watch him or succeed but um but for now you know that i think we're probably focused on getting to that kind of 50 to 70 million and, and developing a, a presence in the space and we'll, we'll be happy with that
0: love it love it that's an awesome goal Thank you, Brian. This has been super yeah, great. I appreciate everything you've, you've shared with us today. Um, just to kind of you know wrap it up, where can you know founders listening in get in touch with you, learn more about you, big time. Or, or just say hi.
1: We uh, we throw stuff on the I throw stuff on the blog all the time. So so take a look at bigtime.net. My my email is bry at bigtime.net. So so feel free to send me a note if if you want to get a hold of me there. Or you can you know uh, access me on LinkedIn. One of those three, at some point you'll be able to get a hold of me. And if you're in Chicago, <laughs> I do uh, you know periodic speaking and and kind of conference events here as well. So you know feel free to stop by and say hello.
0: Sweet, awesome. I appreciate you jumping on today. Really really nice chatting with you, Brian. You bet, man. Loved it. We'll talk <laughs> soon. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS district today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes, where we interview top leaders in the SAS industry. If you're a SAS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com and myself, or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.